You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, hi and welcome. Hi everybody, whether you're here in the room or online, welcome today. If this is your first Sunday, a sure hope as always. It's not your last. Uh, really quick before we get going, I just want to make sure I invite you to make sure that you are able to be here with us next Sunday. Next Sunday, August 15th is going to be a really special Sunday, having a special one-off message, and we'll be talking about the many ways and pathways we've created for you to connect uh, in community here, either in a community group or even on an awesome ministry team. So again, please, please be here either online or or in the room to hear all about that, all about how we want to make it simple and meaningful for you to follow Jesus here with your friends, with your family, with your loved ones, and maybe even some new friends you might make along the way. Amen. All right? All right, here we go. Uh, let's get into our time in God's Word. Our scripture reading today is going to be from the book of 1 John chapters 4 and 5. You can follow along, of course, on the screen or in your Bible Here we go. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to be with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands. His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the reading of God's word. All his people said, amen. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, we are wrapping up this series today in the book of 1 John, and we've been looking at some different resources that the writer John, one of the first followers, original followers of Jesus, some of the resources that he gives us to help us be more whole. We've been looking at some tools that he gives us to help us experience more 
of what it means to be God's beloved. That's the word John uses in the book. And so today we come to that last resource and the final tool that I think no look at this book would be complete without. And I think if, I think if John were here today, yeah, what would we do if John walked in the room? I think if John were here today, I think he might say something like this. I think he might say, you know, Mosaic Church, I'm so glad to be here with you all today. I really love this thing you've invented called air conditioning. We didn't get back that, that back on Patmos, right? Thanks for the free coffee and chai tea, but since it's my first time here and I'm a guest and I can't tell something yet, I want to say something to you. I'm not sure what your church is most about. I'm not sure if this church or any church is most about your services or most about its theology, as important as that is, or most about your preferred worship style. I'm not sure if your church, if any church, is most about supporting me, your nation or country or endorsing a political figure. I'm not sure after all, I'm just a guest But one thing I am sure of, I think the apostle John might say, one thing I am sure that the church of Jesus must be about above all else is this. 1 John 4, 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I think John's saying here that the secret sauce to the whole thing, the whole church, is that we love one another. Not because we deserve it. Not because we have things in common. Not because we are the same culturally. Not because we have not been offended here. (laughs) But we ought to. We have a moral imperative, he's saying, to love one another. Why? Because God so loved us. So why? Why is this such a big deal to John that he goes on and on about it? Why is it such a big deal? Well, if you ever want to know why any verse is ever in the Bible, in any book, any letter, you just have to ask one single question. What's at stake right here? What's at stake if we do this or if we don't do that? What's at stake if we love one another or if we all turn away and don't. What's at stake? John shows us next verse, 12. He says, no one has ever seen God, right? You haven't seen him. Uh, the people in your neighborhood haven't. The people on your kids' sports teams haven't. The people in your schools haven't. No one's seen God. But if we, if we, we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I think what he's saying is this. What's at stake is nothing less than us. What's at stake is nothing less than us. What's at stake is our ability to offer proof positive to the surrounding community that God really is real. Because no one's ever seen God the Father, but if we love one another, people can see the love of God in a completed, tangible, clear way. What's at stake is nothing less than us and how the world can or can't see Jesus in us. So, therefore, in an effort to help us not only experience God's love, but also to help others come into that as well, and because love always has a shape to it. Love always has a form to it. God came in the form of Jesus. Love always has a shape. Love always has a form. In light of that, here are today, here are seven things I think love looks like. 
all right? Seven things I think love looks like. Today, in light of what John says to us, I want to cast some vision for what love could, maybe love should, look like, to use his phrase, among us, all right? In this community called Mosaic Church. And just to let you know ahead of time, number one, we're gonna have some fun with these. But also, number two, there are way more of these than I can ever get to, all right? And you might not hear the one you wanted to hear or hoped you'd hear or think the person next to you really needs to hear, right? All I can say is keep coming back and you just might. So here we go, seven things I think love looks like, and I'm gonna ask you to read these out loud with me as we go. A little bit of, shall we say, witnessing today. All right, some of you know that phrase. All right, number one, I think love looks like, say it with me, watching our words. Yeah, love looks like watching our words. Why is this? I came across this study recently, and it said this. In 2020, the world produced 306 billion emails, 4.5 trillion text messages, 500 million tweets, and 525 million hours of YouTube watch. Some of you are saying, well, that was just my kids alone. All right. (laughs) Per day. Per day. Many of you can think of a time in which cell phones, the internet, email did not exist. You can think of that time, right? And if you, it's a good time, yeah. And if you hear someone hyperventilating right now next to you, just put a hand on that millennial or Gen Zer and tell them it's gonna be, a, tell, okay, tell me you'll write a real letter on real paper and they'll be just fine, all right. But here's my point. We use words more than ever before and think about how we use them less than ever before. We say things, for example, on a computer screen, We would never say face-to-face with that person, with another human being. And here's why. Here's why this matters. Consider, the book of James says, James is John's good buddy and friend. Consider, the book of James says, what a great forest is set on fire by one small spark, one small word. That, James says, is what words can do, what the tongue can do. One little word, one little spark can burn a whole family down, a whole church down, a whole forest down. What damage then could 306 billion emails do? 4.5 trillion texts, 500 million tweets a day do. What damage could that do? I think we know. I think over the last year in particular, we felt that. There's a lot of damage. I want to tell you though, love does better. Love watches over its words. Love remembers the wisdom of Proverbs 10, 19, where words are many, (laughs) sin is not absent. Sin is unabsent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I think the writer's saying this, yeah, yeah, yeah. As much as the world needs your voice, sometimes it might just need your silence and mine and mine as well. And so as a person who's using words right now, and the irony of this is not lost on me, believe me, okay. I wanna say some words to you. I love you, love you, and God loves you. And your life, man, thank you. And your life matters, and you have a purpose, and I want you to be here. I love you, I want us to love one another, and I want us to watch our words, because that's what love looks like. Number two, say it with me now. Love also looks like, come on, telling the right story. Love looks like telling the right story. Okay, 
Anybody out there that you've got a food, a food you really can't stand, like no matter how crazy or insensitive it might sound, you literally would rather starve and eat that food. Anybody got a food like that? Yeah, a few of you. I do. I'm going to tell you one. Handful of foods I can't stand. One of them is hot dogs. Yeah, same reaction first. Thank you. I got a witness. All right. And here's why. Here's why. On, on New Year's Eve, in the fifth grade, our family shared a meal of hot dogs with one another. Unfortunately, that evening, what we also shared was a nasty stomach virus. And so the experience of, shall we say, dinner being reversed in such an unforgettable manner has made me to be, a, you know, sort of a lifelong skittish person around hot dogs. Now, maybe, maybe if you absolutely blacken them beyond recognition and slather them with mustard and relish and onions and stuff, I could maybe choke one down. But I want to tell you, I would rather wait to eat anything until next week I'd rather eat a hot dog today. I can't eat sausage. I like bratwurst, which I completely acknowledge are basically the same thing. All right. <laughs> but this isn't logical. Why? I've been doing a little bit of research on this. Our brains are hardwired to take shortcuts. This saves them energy as well as helps them potentially keep us from facing some negative experiences. So those shortcuts, those narratives, those stories about whatever are made in your brain. See, you say hot dog. My brain says New Year's Eve, fifth grade, stay away. But we don't just do this with food, right? Sometimes we do this with people, others. We make shortcuts. Like, like we can reduce people all the way down just to a number. Anyone heard of the Enneagram? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't heard of it, you will. It's coming to an HR seminar near you. No, I actually, I actually like the Enneagram quite a lot. Uh, I use it. It's helped me a ton. And my wife and I, we love it. We laugh about it for sure. Send each other Enneagram memes. It's a lot of fun. But how many of you, when it comes to how you'd really want someone to know you and describe you, how someone really sees you, how many of you would love it if they just said, God, you're such a typical five. God, what a nine. You're such a nine, you know. Actually, full disclosure here, all of us threes, we would really love it if you said we were like the best three you ever knew. All right, so there, there is that. Some of you are like, I don't get that. All right, <laughs> we'll talk to you later. All right, anyway, but what, what, about, what about where people are from, huh? Say, like, where are you from? Oh, you're from Canada. Yeah. Some of the first service was they said, eh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you drink Tim Horton's coffee and you, you listen to Justin Bieber. Okay, like, um, yeah, yeah. See, that's a story about people from a certain place. And when we reduce people, come on, to a nationality alone, a number alone, a stereotype alone, it's not only a problem, it causes problems. Would you like someone to tell themselves like a whole story, like, like five Netflix seasons worth of stories about you based on what? How you look, your skin color, how you dress, what you drive, who you voted for, right? I mean, come on. The wrong stories are how we give ourselves permission to mock, slander, ridicule others. Huh? The wrong stories allow us to attack others and make the label of others. Oh, but Jesus, it was said of him, this man welcomes, wait for the label, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
See, Jesus didn't let someone's label as a tax collector, political revolutionary, or a status quo keeper keep him from entering into the world behind the label. Listen, people don't just have one-dimensional narratives. They have names. They have stories, real stories. So how do we love one another? Let's get to know one another. Find out the real story. Tell the right story. I think that's what love looks like. Number three, let's keep going here. Say this with me. Love looks like also letting go of that grudge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, do you remember that person? Remember the person who got mad? They stayed mad. They were super icy towards that person for like months or years. And then they said, my life is a lot better because I did that. Remember that person? I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. Honey, is everything okay? Sure. How are you? Fine. Why do you ask? Oh, all right. Talk about rejecting the bid for connection, all right. On social media, let's say perhaps you didn't listen back to point number one, you didn't watch your words, and let's say you now you started World War III, and now then you're 17 comments deep. Now you're recruiting your spouse, loved one, roommate, BFF to help you craft that devastating, world-ending, you know, argument-silencing reply, and the whole time the anger builds, the resentment builds, and you got mad, and you stayed mad, that's a grudge. That's a grudge. You get mad, you stay mad, then the mad turns to a little bit of simmering. A little bit of anger, maybe even a little bit of hate. John says, chapter four, verse 20, oh, but whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Well, John, that escalated quickly. Yeah, listen, grudges always disaffect you while grudges never change the other person. They don't do it. They make you worse while doing nothing to the other person. So maybe, maybe you could, you could be courageous and let it go, or maybe you could be courageous and have a conversation about it with them. Oh, but hold a grudge, keep a grudge. Listen, you'll never hear a happy grudge story. He won't. Love, Paul writes, keeps no record of wrongs. Has God ever held a grudge towards you? No. I think love looks like letting them go. Number four, say it with me this, say it with me now. Love looks like doing the hard internal work. Love is like doing the hard internal work. What do I mean? All right, for all of you, all of us, with uh, children, small children, grandchildren, if you've got a niece or a nephew or a child in your life at all, you know that sometimes when a certain movie comes along, that child doesn't just like the movie, that child doesn't just love the movie, sometimes that child lives the movie. And in your family, you may live the movie. Many of you, for example, you have lived Frozen, you lived it, right? You know, like it was your life for years. Like, or maybe you did that with Star Wars. Uh, for our family, when the, our boys were a little bit younger, we lived that Pixar movie, Cars. We all have seen Cars, see Cars, yeah. We saw it three times in the theater and then Carrie and I overheard it countless times while making uh, the cross-country journey on the DVD player in our super cool minivan because after all, every American deserves to be able to watch television in their car at all times, right? Yeah. But I'm not going to lie, it helped. <laughs> it helped. 
Anywhere there's this one scene with the main character, the red race car, Lightning McQueen, and he's trying to prepare for this upcoming race. He's practicing on this dirt track. Okay, and he can't make this left turn. Every time he tries to make a left turn, he spins his wheels, spins his tires, he goes out of control. And then just when he's about to quit, one of his friends gives him some counterintuitive advice. They say, go right to go left. Remember that? If you've seen it, go right to go left. His friend says, listen, I know when you get to this left turn, you think you want to go left because your whole life up till now on every single racetrack, you go left. But this is a different kind of a turn, a different kind of a track. If you want to win this race, you got to turn your wheels a different direction. Go right to go left. And if you do that, you'll break through. Now it was counterintuitive, but he tried it. It worked. And he won. And in the same way, sometimes, sometimes, I think when it comes to running our race, it's a Bible metaphor, is it not? Our race, our journey in life, you got to go in a counterintuitive direction. Sometimes you have to, to to quote Pete Scazzaro, author, pastor, sometimes you have to go backwards in order to go forwards. Ever wonder why you're always, for example, among many, spinning out or breaking down around authority figures. Hmm? Why you just can't seem to turn that corner when it comes to dealing with authority. Why you're always either challenging and blowing up or <clears throat> getting cynical and walking away. Why can't you just handle it well? Ever wonder, ever wonder why you have that same fight with your spouse. No one knows what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> why people at work always say the same thing about you no matter where you work. Ever wonder why it seems like you keep, you keep blowing your life up maybe here, there, no matter where you live. Maybe you need to do then the hard, because it is hard, the hard internal work of going back into your past a bit to learn, uh, to see how you learn how to do it that way. You handled it that way then, yeah, but to handle this turn in life now, hmm? you're going to have to learn a new way. Maybe you need to go back, meet with a trusted counselor, pastor, mentor, or ask the Holy Spirit to help you find out where you learn how to race that way. See, but all you're doing now is spinning your wheels. Why is that? For the sake, hear me, of the people in your life, for the sake of loving the people in your life well, your employees, for those of you who run a business, your boss, your children, your parents, to love them well, to get that breakthrough, maybe you need to do the hard internal work. You go backwards in order to go forwards. Number five, number five, say with me, love looks like now rejecting disposable relationships. So let's go down a layer here. Maybe where you live, you can see these people. They're super hard working, busting their tail types. They're walking around on foot, or sometimes now you'll see them on these like little hoverboard things. They're in your neighborhood. They're walking uh, around the neighborhood, and these individuals are going around door to door with the goal of what? Getting you to switch. <laughs> Internet, uh, pest control, lawn control, uh, maintenance. If you own or maybe you rent a home. And I, I'm not ashamed to, to admit that I may have been persuaded into changing companies on the spot. Why? Morgan, is it because you're gullible? Maybe. <laughs> I don't think about this though. Morgan, is it because you're an American? Well, you're getting closer. Morgan, is it because you want that same service better, faster, cheaper? Yes. Yes, bingo. See, why? Because we live in a consumer economy. And while there's nothing wrong with switching companies on the spot, 
sociologists tell us we really are the first culture in the history of the world to allow consumerism not only to define our economic choices, but to define and shape and influence our relational choices as well. And that's, that's a problem. It's a problem. Look at what John says about love. About love. He says, whoever lives, look at this, in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. Again, once again, for the careful reader, you'll notice the I-N word, the word in. See, in, that is Trinitarian type language. Jesus said, for example, God is in me. I am in the Father and, and, and God, Jesus prayed. I pray that they, the people, would be in us as well. See, there's a kind of in usness that Christians are supposed to experience within the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. That's why God isn't just loving. God is love. We're supposed to experience that and then live that out among us. Somehow. Somehow. Yeah, over time, sure. But we're supposed to allow our relationships to go deep enough to the point we can say we are in one another. I'm in you. You're in me, right? Hear me. Today in this church, I'm not looking for better, faster, cheaper. Amen. Looking for you. Amen. Looking for you. The person next to you. Your children. Your family. Your love. I'm looking for you. Wherever I go, I carry people like Pastor Barnabas with me. I do. Galen Washington. John, our elders. You know, Pastor Brett. So many others I carry in me. This goes against consumerism, friends. Which is why here, if you stick around a Mosaic, yes, we call people into church membership. We call you into caring community. We'll call you into faithful service. We'll call you into principled generosity. Why? Because love looks like rejecting disposable, consumer-oriented relationships. Number six. Number six. Say it with me. Come on. Love looks like keeping your word. Keeping your word. Yeah. I promise I'll be nice. All right. Christian ethicist Lewis Smedes puts it like this. I love it. It's beautiful. He says, quote, when you make a promise, you have created a small sanctuary of trust within the jungle of unpredictability. Isn't that great? He said, when I married my wife, I had hardly a smidgen of sense for what I was getting into with her. How could I know how much she would change over 25 years? How could I know how much I would change? My wife has lived with at least five different men since we were wed, and each of the five has been me. The connecting link with my old self has always been the memory of the name I took on back there. I am he who will be there with you. But when we slough off that name, we lose that identity, we can hardly find ourselves again. And the bonds that connect us to others will be frayed to breaking. Listen, I know, I know when you make a promise to be there for someone, to be there for your child, to be there for your loved one, your parent, your spouse. It can feel so constrictive at times because it feels like maybe you're putting a lot more into that relationship than you're getting out. And you may be right. You may be right. Oh, but I want to tell you a secret and a great irony I've come to believe is true. Making and 
keeping a commitment, your word. It's like hoisting a great sail on a large ship. Yes, it becomes cumbersome. Yes, it's difficult to manage. Yes, it's not easy. You may get tired, but when you do that, you now harness the power of the wind. You harness the power of your circumstances. Instead of being blown around, now you aim them. You harness the power of the vessel to arrive at the place you originally intended to in the first place. Oh, but without that sail of commitment. You'll never get there. You'll be blown around, end up adrift, maybe boarded by pirates, you know, maybe capsized. But if you'll make a promise to those around you, hear me, and work, work, work at keeping it. It releases within you all the glories of your divinely crafted humanity. Smeeds concludes like this. When we make and keep promises, we are most of all like the God whose name is, I am he who will be there with you. Among all the dimensions of the mature person in Christ, none comes closer to the character of our Lord than the daring to make a promise and the courage to keep the promises we make. And all God's people said, amen, amen. And finally, Finally, maybe even most of all, and I'll spend a few minutes on this one. Number seven, love looks like, come on, say it with me, please. Reenacting the Christian story. Love looks like that. First John 5, 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Love looks like reenacting the Christian story. What do I mean? David Brooks, he's a writer for the Atlantic Monthly. Maybe you've heard of him or it. He wrote an article last fall in October called this, called America is Having a Moral Convulsion. And he wrote about the challenge we're facing right now to try to love one another in our culture right now, in our current cultural moment. He says we're living now in a period he calls marked by explosive distrust. Explosive distrust. And because that is happening, here is what happens. He says this, quote, in periods of distrust, you get surges of populism. Populism is the ideology of those who feel betrayed. Contempt for insiders rises, as does suspicion toward anybody who holds authority. People are drawn to leaders who use the language of menace and threat, who tell group versus group power narratives. You also get a lot more political extremism. People see closed, rigid, ideological systems that give them a sense of security. When people feel naked and alone, they revert to tribe. Their radius of trust shrinks, and they trust, only trust, their own kind. It's fascinating, huh? Look at, look at this. I'm going to read that last bit again. When people feel naked and alone, they revert to tribe. Their radius of trust shrinks, and they only trust their own kind. How many of you have felt a little bit like this over the past year? Yeah, maybe naked and alone and not just because you were you know, working from home during quarantine. <laughs> maybe you felt tempted to revert to your own tribe, people who look just like you, dress just like you, Make what you make. Vote like you vote, huh? I have. Why? Well, it's because 
When trust in institutions, trust in authority figures, trust in general goes down in a culture, people's lean towards tribalism goes way up. You feel like you can only trust people like you and the people exactly like you and to justify and to maintain this lean. This is what cultures do. Cultures create, we create moral codes, these cultural rules. And when we do that, we are constructing what sociologist Peter Berger calls the sacred canopy. It's something which we feel covers us. It covers our tribe. It makes us feel special. It tells us we're unique when we obey those rules. And it tells us that we are good and they are bad. And these new moral codes, these new cultural rules to follow, they become like a new religion. See, for tribalism to last of any kind, anywhere, it always requires religion. And this is why, for example, extreme conservatism can become a religion. Vote this way, support this candidate, or you're bad and out. This is why extreme liberalism can become a religion. Support this group, endorse this cause, or you're bad and out. See, in times of explosive distrust, the move towards tribalism takes place. We're afraid. We want to feel safe and covered, so we make the move back towards just, those just like us, and that is how to use a Bible word. The world works. See, when Bible writers, when they use that word world, it refers not to just the planet, not even really mostly to the planet, but it refers, the word world refers to the broken, tired, old, fallible systems of thought and behavior that drag humans down into a doom loop of some decaying orbit around an ideology, around a thought or behavior. And over the past year, maybe you have too, I have seen people that I love, and maybe you have too, fall back into that. When fear spiked, when anxiety rose, they reverted. Like Orpah in the book of Ruth, who walked away from Naomi. The price to walk with someone different than they were was too high. And so they went back to their own culture, their own way of worship, their own tribe. Oh, but John says, we can be better. We can be different. Like Ruth, we can escape the pull of tribalism. We can escape that world system, the tendency to only go to people and places that are just like us. How? He says the only way to break free, the only way to overcome the world is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Here's why. Oh, consider who Christians have always claimed that Jesus of Nazareth is. God born as a baby. God becomes vulnerable, touchable, killable. God doesn't stay with his own kind in heaven. God relocates out of the safety of heaven into our dangerous neighborhood of humanity. God lives for nine months in an unwed teenage mother's womb, creating all kinds of suspicion in people's minds about his own mother. The God baby, though he was not rich, was not afraid to associate with the poor and the misunderstood. Then this God boy, baby is born. The God boy lives. The God boy grows into becoming the God man. His name is Jesus, Yeshua. It means salvation. He discovers 
He is different. He begins to preach and says he has come to begin a new kind of kingdom, one that's not marked first by tribe or nationality, by language or by gender, but by relationship to, faith in, loyalty towards him first and foremost. He shakes off the sacred canopy of religion that others puts on him, that put on him. He touches the leper, for example, that should have made Jesus unclean, but instead it is he who makes the leper clean. Power flows out of him to heal a bloodied woman that should have made Jesus unfit for temple worship, but instead it makes her fit to be restored in the community. Jesus turns over those tables in that temple. He upsets a system designed to keep the Gentiles out. Everywhere Jesus goes, Jesus, the Son of God, goes, he undoes tribalism. And then he dies at the hands of the Roman Empire as an enemy of the state. And he prays for forgiveness for a different ethnic group who is killing him. And when he does this and he rises from the dead, a people from every background now begin to stream into the kingdom he began. Why? It's because when the world saw a group of ethnically and politically diverse people love one another, they saw that God's love was made complete in them. They saw what Rome could never force and religion can never produce. And so when you believe in Jesus, you're saying you believe in that. And faith in Jesus, the one who became what he was not, to enable those unlike him to enter into a forever relationship with him, that allows us to escape. That allows us to overcome the world. The world pulls us down into sheer tribalism. But the kingdom of Jesus launches us into a new family and humanity. And to believe in Jesus now means we reenact the Christian story. That story of the one who came from here to there moves towards people not like him over and over and over again. We associate with people not like us. We love those different than us. We work for a better world because we're a part of a better kingdom. We watch our words. We tell the right story about one another. We don't hold grudges. We do the hard internal work. We reject disposable relationships. We keep our word to one another. And when we do, oh, now, 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 now we're reenacting the Christian story. And love is made complete in us. And now maybe, maybe the world can see God the Father present in our midst. Church, I think love looks like that. And yeah, about 50 more things I couldn't get to today. These three remain. Come on, faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. It is the more excellent way. Let me pray for you, church. Let me ask the, the grace and mercy of God our Father, love of Jesus, to fill our hearts and help us now. Lord, we come to you. Lord, and I thank you for this unprecedented opportunity we have right now as a local church, as people of Jesus, to make an impact in our city, an impact in our nation, and an impact in our world. Oh, the world always pulls us back away down towards tribalism. You call us in a way to come out, be separate. be defined first and foremost by you. Sure isn't easy. We sure get it wrong a lot. Because of that, we sure need your help, God. Help us to do these things. 
Yeah, if you're here today and you're saying, man, I need, I need help with one of, these, one of these things, one of these seven. Morgan, I need help with watching my words. If that's you, would you just raise your hands right now in this place, in this room, maybe online? Yeah, and a bunch of us, I do. You say, I need help. We're not holding a grudge. Would you just raise your hand? Yeah. Say, I need help. Believe in the right things about people. Would you raise your hand? I need help. Something from my past. Would you raise your hands? I need help with keeping my word right now. It's hard. Yeah, I know. Raise your hands. Lord, all these, for all these, we need your help. We just acknowledged humbly. We can't make it on our own. Can't do it without you. We sure need you. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you grow us? Would you bring us into the right people, places, relationships to help us love one another? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.